You already know what time it is. Welcome back into the NFL with AJL. Episode 50. Dropping a 50 burger on y'all tonight with the show. We are live. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, the usual platforms. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here with me tapped in on the show. Y'all make sure to get in the comments. I want to hear from y'all. Get in the chat. And as always, make sure you like the stream wherever you're watching. Share the show as well. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the bell. All the normal things you do to support the show. As always, the QR code there in the corner of the screen. We'll give you every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL. Hashtag the NFL with AJL. Scan that QR code. Every bit of content. If you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough. We got a packed show tonight. Again, appreciate y'all jumping in. The Raiders fire Josh McDaniels. They clean house and also let the GM go as well. We'll be talking about the NFL midseason MVP and award. Some division winners Our Super Bowl matchup as of now. Yes, I say we because I got a guest on the show for episode 50. Will Levis's NFL debut, his first two games versus the Falcons and the Steelers. We're going to talk the craziness of an Aaron Rodgers return this season. And then we're also going to pick every game for week nine. Gentleman that's been on the show before, definitely not his first time, been my homie for a long time. Justin Marville from the This Just In Sports Show. You don't have any competition anymore, man. They kicked Max off the set. So it's only you now, bro. It was about time though. I mean, I thought Max was hard done, but like, you know, we were the original. So it forced me to put a hashtag in front of my name. I hated that. Yeah, yeah. It was like not... Not uh, not that this just did on ESPN. You always had to throw the hashtag in there to make sure. But the handle, of course, will will always get you right. As always, guys, make sure to get at Justin on all social media platforms, especially on YouTube, where he puts out a lot of his content. And we're going to go ahead and jump right into the show, man. As we talked about, we were going to be discussing some NFL midseason awards. And we'll start from the top with the MVP at the midpoint in the season. Justin, who is your MVP? This is going to be far left field. I know you didn't bring me on the show for this one, right? <laughs> and I know a lot of people have their Patrick Mahomes and, you know, um, Josh Allen. But the problem with those two for me is that as much as I love Patrick Mahomes, especially, they have two games that they just can't get out of my mind. And yeah. one is that Denver game that Patrick Mahomes had. Granted, he had the flu. And for Josh Allen... <laughs> And for Josh Allen, we all can't like we can't forget how he handed the New York Jets that game on, on, on the opener, like with those four turnovers, three interceptions, and you fumble. Right. So you ready for this one? Yeah, let's go for it. Lamar Jackson is my we my midseason MVP so far. Hey, and, nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, and I mean, stats may not be eye popping, but the reality of the situation at six and two, the Baltimore Ravens really should be undefeated in no, they had no right losing to the Indianapolis Colts in overtime. And especially, I'm not sure if you watched that Pittsburgh game. Like, that was... If not for the eight drops in that Pittsburgh game, we're talking about an eight-and-all Baltimore Ravens. And we've heard the... I know you've heard the criticism. Lamar Jackson can't be a pocket passer. He's not accurate for the pocket. Um, He is not accurate in his deep balls. And now the progression has shown like that is no longer true. Like, the offense is now starting to, to change a gear. And this is without a great chemistry, um, without Odell Beckham Jr. And at some point, they're going to get that chemistry down pat. Yeah. Right now, and I'm not saying I'm run away. I I have it between him and um, um, Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to lean towards Lamar Jackson. 
That's totally a fair claim, man. I think he is definitely in that conversation without question. My MVP, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. It's going to be Tyreek Hill for me. This man is on pace to have the most receiving yards ever in an NFL season. Right now, 61 catches, 1,014 yards, and eight touchdowns halfway through the NFL season. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes. I think he is the best quarterback in the league right now. I do think he's playing at the highest level. So if it were to be a quarterback for me, of course, I would give it to Patrick Mahomes. You talk about Lamar Jackson. We've looked at Josh Allen, of course, Tua as well. But I think when we talk about the cream of the crop, Patrick Mahomes would be the one here to take it home. Again, my pick is Tyreek Hill. You also look at Christian McCaffrey, though, halfway through the year, 944 all-purpose yards and 13 Yes, Christian McCaffrey has 13 touchdowns already this NFL season. So, again, I could you know narrow it down to Patrick Mahomes, Christian McCaffrey, or Tyreek Hill. We haven't seen a running back or a non-quarterback win it since 2012, uh, 2012, excuse me, of course, when Adrian Peterson came out, did his thing about nine months after the ACL and just came a few yards short of the uh, NFL season rushing record. But my pick here will be Tyreek Hill. Let's get into the offensive player of the year. The guy you just mentioned, Tyreek Hill. There is like you keep hearing the same thing over and over all these talk shows, including first date. Who's the most dangerous player in the NFL? Yeah. No one tilts the field quite like Tyreek Hill, like no one. And the Miami offense, like no, even I know they have Mostert and I know that they have Jalen Water, but the reason that the primary reason for this is, is is Tyreek Hill. Like you saw what there were before him, and he's come here and it's added that extra dimension. Even when you put two safeties over the top, that doesn't matter because what he does, he runs underneath, and then once he catches the ball, right, and what Mike McDaniel has been able to do, right, that's so smart, is that they put him in motion. So then by the time he gets the ball, he already has a head of steam, or when the ball is snapped, he has a head of steam. And we know you can't stop Tyreek Hill with a head of steam. You already dropped the stats, so there's no need to go any further other than to see 90% or 95% of the receivers in the NFL do not have these stats far less at half at the midway point, Adam, understand 95% of the receivers are not going to finish a year with the stats he currently has. Right. And he still has another, what, nine games to go? It's absolutely right. crazy. Yeah, he, he, so I did the math. He's on pace for 16 touchdowns, 120 catches, 2,200 yards. That would by far be the best NFL season for a wide receiver in history. You see Calvin Johnson, I think 1964 it was. Um, not the year, but the amount of, of receiving yards that he had. Fred, appreciate you jumping in. We're going to get to defensive player of the year in a minute. Talking Ooh, about that's, um, that's a, that's what's a good it one. called? Talking about the MVP, though, Tua. That is a good claim, man. I can't knock you for that. My only thing with Tua is he does not perform well against higher competition. And I think for you to win an award like that, you got to be able to conquer those. Uh, Tyreek is my pick, but wide receivers don't get MVP. But I'm telling you, he would be the one. Tyreek Hill would be the one to get MVP if he has the best wide receiver season of all time. He might not win the triple crown where it catches yards and touchdowns, uh, but I think Tyreek Hill right now is is definitely MVP. Offensive player of the year, I'm going to double down. Go Tyreek Hill as well, just like we saw his former teammate Patrick Mahomes win MVP the first time, double down and win offensive player of the year as well. And it's very. I want. Great. I want to put in an honorable mention right for this right like a one B, and that's AJ Brown. Yes. The season that A.J. Brown is having in Philadelphia, and I know this Crazy. primarily because he's on my fantasy team, and my <laughs> word, like, is I can pencil in 120 yards every single game every and, a, and, and, and a touchdown. And yep. what he is doing is currently right now rivaling Tyreek Hill to think about what's going on. And it's not like you don't know what Philadelphia is coming to do because they're not as run-heavy anymore. So like, you know this ball is going to A.J. Brown, and the mere fact he's so physical, 
or at the line at the point of catch. Oof. Yeah. Tyreek is disgusting, man. I mean, you you say how they're talking about on ESPN and first take, you know, the most dangerous player in the league. Tyreek. I think he is the best player in the NFL right now. Love how you give the honorable uh, mention to A.J. Brown. And I even think Christian McCaffrey could be in this conversation as well because he's on pace for 1,800 all-purpose yards and 26 total touchdowns. He's got nine on the ground right now, four through the air. Uh, so you just got to appreciate what these you know, what these guys are doing. On to defensive player of the year, like Fred was mentioning, he oh. said Miles Garrett. But, Justin, what do you say? It's so hard, right? Every week I flip-flop between two players and Miles Garrett is one and the other is Micah Parsons. And for right now, having seen the latest performance, I'm going to give the slight edge to, to, to Miles Garrett. Um, first, I'm going to start with a, a little soliloquy on on, uh, on, on on Micah Parsons because I honestly believe, right, Micah, Micah Parsons is a top five player in this league and I'm not even number five. Like, this kid is ridiculous. I've seen teams game plan by throwing chips double teams and it does not matter like uh, like either make a person's getting the quarterback or the attention paid to him is forcing somebody else to get the quarterback yep. but i can't also put up my mind what i saw miles garrett do by jumping an entire line and blocking a punt and like when you're on <laughs> like when you're also having an impact on special teams right like this is absolutely crazy so like if you tell me make a parsons if you tell me miles garrett i don't think there's a wrong answer there. these two are for me the elite defensive players in the league right now like maybe you throw tj watt on their level but it's those three and no one else yeah you talk about tj watt i think he's a guy that's sneaking in the conversation for me micah parsons is definitely up there because of his versatility i think that can give him the edge to win the award plus he plays for the dallas cowboys he's been top two every year he's been in the league he came in second in his rookie year in defensive player of the year narrowly loses it to nick bosa last year um, but yeah, Micah Parsons is definitely up there. Miles Garrett is also a great name that you throw out there too. Eight and a half sacks. TJ Watt right now, nine and a half sacks at this point in the season. My true pick would be TJ, uh, but Micah with his versatility, with the way he's able to cover some, his speed, his strength is crazy. And him and TJ do match up on that level. But I think when it comes to overall versatility as a player, Micah takes the cake. And I think that's what's going to get him the award. So again, I think Micah will win, but my personal pick will be TJ Watt. Let's get to the offensive rookie of the year. Oh, I forgot all about this. Actually, I've been doing this. So I'll let you go ahead. Sorry about that. I, forgot. No, I missed that no one. Worries. Uh, I'll throw some names out to you. We got CJ Stroud, uh, Puka Nakua, of course, Jordan Addison, even Devon A. Shane. Oh, um, stop, stop this. Jameer stop this. Gibbs, you know, B. John stop, Robinson. Stop. Hold on. I stop this. Stop this. I can't believe I'm actually debating this, CJ Stroud. Like, when you have, when you start a season rate, um, breaking a rookie record of most passes Appreciate prior it, to, without, Without uh, uh, interception, like this, this is uh, this, this is a walk in the park, right as it is right now. And you mentioned some great names, and I think your hometown team is doing a disservice. Pick against them boys right there. <laughs> <laughs> your hometown team though has done a disservice to Bajon Robinson because when he came out in draft, I told people this should be the offensive rookie, and he is going to be a top five running back immediately but arthur smith is currently so clueless but that's another conversation for another time it is cj strode and right now cj strode is making me look like a fool because i thought bryce young was the best quarterback in the draft obviously we have a ton of time still to wait but i also did say i couldn't understand all the pre-draft hate that cj strode was getting because yeah, like it made no sense it was just one of those things where it's like oh joe burrow's hands kenny pickett's hands Jamar crazy the ball I, is smaller 
best rookie wide receiver season we've ever seen. <laughs> and then all we're talking about is all oh, look at all these wide receiving talent that he's had, Chris Olave and, and, yeah. and Marvin Harrison Jr. No, the kid is the kid is just this just that good and he's proven it. And I said there were two good quarterbacks in this draft. I just didn't know that CJ Stroud was the better for two. Yeah. Yeah, you know, CJ Stroud is my QB1 coming in. Um Bryce I do believe was a little more talented because I thought he could create a lot off script. And I don't think CJ had to do a lot of that, uh, but Bryce is very small. We've already seen him miss time this year. And I was very nervous with him coming in. We thought Kyler Murray was small. Bryce Young is smaller. You know, we thought Baker Mayfield was small. Bryce Young is much smaller. You know, Baker Mayfield has some meat on his bones. Kyler Murray got in the weight room. And like, if Bryce can do that, then I think he can have a lot of success in this league. But you talk about CJ Stroud going to be my offensive rookie of the year as well on pace for 3,600 yards, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions, not, you know, very gaudy numbers, but to imagine a rookie throwing less than five interceptions on the year, I think he'll get up there in some interception totals, you know, but it, it's all still to be, you know, kind of seen um, to, to even think that a rookie could throw less than 10 or maybe 12 interceptions in their, you know, in, in their in their quarterback season, I think is very impressive. So knowing that he's on pace for this type of uh, this type of season, but yes, he's, he's very poised. He looks like a veteran already uh, playing a lot, like in these games throughout the NFL, a lot like he did against Georgia. And I, you know, I'll still stand on the statement that that is a big game that got him to that second overall pick, but you know, some honorable mentions as well. Puka Nakua clearly crushing it right now. Jordan Addison jumping in place of, of Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison quietly has seven touchdowns on the year as a rookie and is going to be continuing through this season with that wide receiver one, wide receiver two role until Jettas comes back from IR. Devon A. Shane would have been my pick, but he hasn't played in a month, and that man went out four games, six touchdowns. <laughs> so just kind of go figure there, right? Like, we're not saying he was going to score 24 rushing touchdowns on the year, or was he? Because Devon A. Shane was absolutely unstoppable, and I believe if he was still playing right now, that would be my rookie of the year pick. It would probably go to CJ because we know we like to, you know, admire quarterbacks, but my pick right now, going to be cj stroud defensive rookie of the year justin um remember i told you i think we had a show and i told you that the eagles again got away with arguably the best defensive player in this I draft and jalen carter right i will say it's either him or with a spoon from um seattle i'm gonna let because of the love that philadelphia gets and all those prime time games i'm gonna lean towards carter but i told you i remember i told you them getting Jalen Carter is right. absolutely crazy. And every single general manager that allowed that to happen should be fired <laughs> on the spot. And so said, so then. Even though Philadelphia has taken a step back defensively, but that's because of all the free agent losses that they had. But yeah, Jalen Carter right now. Yeah, I think Jalen Carter's the runaway as well. You mentioned Spoon. I think if Spoon was a little healthier, because the Seahawks are performing, right? They're 5-2, and two, first in the NFC West. I just think if Spoon was a little healthier, he'd get some more consideration. But I, I think Jalen Carter is, by far and away, the guy right now. Of course, we look at Will Anderson, a little disappointing. He's only had one sack, and that was literally in week one. Hasn't had anything else in terms of getting to the quarterback. And that might not necessarily be 100% his job. But he was the best player in the draft, in my opinion. He came in as the best edge rusher, the best defensive player. I mean, he had a laundry list of things he was able to do. Going to stay with Jalen Carter, though. His pressures, the way he gets to the quarterback, the way that he can defeat the offensive lineman's moves, get through the pass block, get through the run block. Like, Jalen Carter is the complete package. And realistically, you know, I'm trying to think of a comp for him right now. I'll, I'll just keep <laughs> moving so I don't hold us up. But Jalen no, Carter is definitely a specimen to uh to be desired in the nfl and i agree with you every gm that passed on him should just be like what are you doing 
And we haven't even seen Nolan Smith really come to life yet. And that's another guy that's in the doghouse right now. You know, Nicobe Dean's not in the doghouse, but we see him also from from Georgia as well as, as the Eagles just continue to snatch these guys up. Coach of the year. Oh. This was one that kind of shocked me because I'm seeing a lot of different answers, you know, from podcasters out there, analysts, writers that are just putting the news out. Coach of the year, man, who do you have? For me, like, it's all subjective. It depends on, like, for me, expectations of what you want, right? But because I'm in that division, right, I absolutely love Dan Campbell. Absolutely love. And then for you on opening night, I know it was against a Kansas City team missing Travis Kelsey and also missing um, Chris Jones Jones out the middle, right? Two of their three best players were not playing. But the reality is on ring night, opening night, you go into Kansas City. You're not even playing at home. You go into Kansas City and beat the defending champs, right? And everyone, I know all the expectations are so high on Detroit coming into the season. But the reality is you match those expectations with an extremely young squad. And you know me, I love building teams the old school way, building them from the lanes out. I think when you look at this team offensively, especially, and eventually the defense will catch up as the team gets older. For me, it's Dan Campbell for what it lands to have because right now this team is easily going to win the NFC North and they have them at the very worst, the second or third best team in the NFC. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you, man. You got guys like Dan Campbell in the running, Mike McDaniel. I think you could look at Doug Peterson. Shane Steichen was my lock before Anthony Richardson went out for the year because what he was doing with Anthony Richardson, the way that the Colts felt like they were already playing with house money. That offense was actually ticking up. And even now with my Saints just playing them, they were top 10 in all offensive categories, um, you know, pass yards per game, points per game. You also look at Kyle Shanahan, Nick Sirianni. A lot of these coaches that are floating around the league, most of those are NFC coaches, though. Um, but I, I am going to go with Dan Campbell as well. I think it would come down to Dan Campbell or Mike McDaniel. And I think the fact that Dan Campbell's got the Lions in a position that he does, You look at Jared Goff's last 17 games, you know, just a couple of games ago, the touchdown to interception ratio was crazy. The win loss was 13 and four. I mean, so he's really got this team where they need to be and knowing the defensive players that they have in a Brian branch in an Aiden Hutchinson, everybody in that linebacking core, the people that they're going to continue to bring in and develop. You love Mike McDaniel though. No question. We see what he's done with Miami, but I believe the overturn, or excuse me, the, the the haul that Dan Campbell had to bring into Detroit and overall that load was heavier to lift, in my opinion, than, than the Miami Dolphins. So I'm going to go with Dan Campbell, but I wouldn't be shocked if if Mike McDaniel did, did win. This might be the lock for everybody. Comeback player of the year. And oh, if you don't shit. go DeMar, it's okay, because we like we know it's his award, and if you want to do a honorable mention, that's cool. We said it, so there's nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, DeMar will win, no doubt. I like T.J. Watt to win this one, though. I know T.J. didn't play a whole lot of games last year. Yes, he did get 10 under his belt. We saw what he was able to do in those 10 games. Lamar Jackson, Tua also have good cases as well because we saw both of them go down with injury last year. They're both in the MVP conversation. They are both falling out at the quarterback position. No question, though, DeMar's going to win it. You literally can't come back any more than literally coming back to life on the field and, and saving your life and being able to play another football game. Uh, but I like T.J. Watt to win this one, so that'll be my alternate pick, but This is probably the biggest lock for comeback player of the year, maybe ever. Now let's go on into division winners at the midway point of the season. Who do you have one in the AFC North? Bengals. I'm not the Bengals. Sorry. Pump the Braves, the Ravens. And as I said before, they are unfortunate not to be A and O and they really should have won that game in Pittsburgh. Definitely. But how this defense is playing, I thought it would have taken a step back with the absence of Wink Martindale, but 
when you look statistically, especially when you look at the red zone scoring, this defense is legit. And yeah, I have them to win. It's going to be a battle late because those games against Steelers, as you know, are always like tough games. Um, the Bengals of recent have had Lamar's number, but not this season because, as you know, um, Joe Burrow had that early calf strain. But yeah, beating them early, I'm going to get the Ravens. Ravens, totally respected. I'm going to go on the flip side of the Bengals. The, the reason I like the Bengals over the Ravens, I would trust Joe Burrow over Lamar if, you know, the game was on the line later in the season or even over into the playoffs. I know we're talking about just division winner, those division winners, though, and you make a good point about the Ravens could very well be undefeated. We look at the Bengals getting it together later on in the season, coming out of that bye week, being able to capitalize on the 49ers. I just like the Bengals better overall as a team. I love the offense better. Lou Anarumo is doing a great job on the defensive side, but it does kind of feel like it could be a stalemate between these two teams. You've got Baltimore. I've got Cincinnati. On to the AFC South. Or where are we discussing this? is Jacksonville. Like, <laughs> and I have a funny feeling as I was talking on Dwayne's show that Jacksonville could have, because of how their schedule is in the fact that they play in the AFC, so they may end up winning or having the AFC's best record. But it's, 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 there's no competition right now. So I love how I think Mike Vrabel is one of the best coaches in the NFL. But the ra- reality of the situation, Tennessee Titans roster is not good enough. And Texans, like, you know, you're, you're, you're so young. D'Amico Reigns being a first-time head coach. Like, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to walk away with this division at some point. Yeah, they definitely should. You know, I thought the Texans were going to do something. We see that they're sitting at the record they're at. Texans are still a solid football team playing with house money. I don't believe anybody really thought they would be at this caliber. Caliber, of course, if you believed in C.J. Stroud, which we both did. But rookie head coach, rookie quarterback, very young roster, takes some time to gel, and we've seen that in the past. But I think it is the Jags to run away with, no question. Best quarterback, best coach in the um, uh, best coach in the division. We see the Tennessee Titans, of course, lose Ryan Tannehill. We're going to talk about Will Levis later in the show. So they could have something going there, but I'm with you on the Jags. AFC East. I am going to go the surprise pick of the Dolphins. And part of that is, well, obviously Aaron Rodgers' injury. That's the first thing. Like The Jets have uh, an elite defense. There's no getting around that. But it's a lot of up and down play from, you know, Zach Wilson. And that's why they went to Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Buffalo Bills, I don't think we make enough of them losing Tredavis White and Matt Milano. And I've always right. said that defense always goes as right. Matt Milano goes. They, that's why they had to get Russell Douglas. And as Matt Milano goes, is how that defense goes. Like, you've lost arguably the heart and soul of your defense. That's gone. So no longer are you – I don't expect them to be elite unit. And as much as I was a fan of Josh Allen before, I am not anymore. When you look at since Josh Allen's entered the league, I think he's led the league in combined turnovers. And I thought that with time... Turnovers, I think. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I thought that he would have matured a lot, but I'm still seeing the same mistakes over and over and over again. That can be from a veteran QB. I know Miami, like you said, I agree with you. Miami does not step up against higher competition. But what they do do, unlike Buffalo, is that when they play lesser competition, they cream the hell out of them. They don't... They don't play it on the competition, and Buffalo does. So I think Miami will win this division. Yeah, there's flaws with both Miami and Buffalo. I think Buffalo's thing is, you know, they're, well, we saw it against the Giants, and then we saw when they go in and lose the next game. You can't sleepwalk in, when they lose to the Patriots. You can't sleepwalk in this league 
for two quarters, three quarters, three and a half quarters, and expect to come away with W's in football games. And that's why I would take the Dolphins over them. Do the Bills rise to the occasion more than the Dolphins do in terms of stiffer competition? No doubt. Do I like Josh Allen over Tua? No doubt. But the way they've been sleepwalking lately, that's something Miami doesn't do. And I'm not all over Miami just because they dropped 70 points on my former coach. <laughs> Miami really is that good with Tyree Kill, with Raheem Mostert, Devon A. Shane, you know, with the tight end group that they have out there, Mike McDaniel, with the receiving core. We know the firepower they have, and it's always on display with them. And I even thought them coming back around and beating the Patriots 31-17 to versus kind of getting stifled against them earlier on in the year. Um, it was impressive, you know. So, again, there's there's some flaws of both of these teams. We're not looking at the Patriots. We're not looking at the Jets. It's clearly a two-team race here. So, I'm going to uh, excuse me, go with the Dolphins, AFC West winner at the midpoint in the season before we get to the NFC. It's, a, it's the Chiefs. And, uh, uh, yes, they lost to the Broncos for the first time in, like, what, 18 games. Like, you know, that looks bad. <laughs> but let's look at West. Like, you just got rid of Josh McDaniel in, in, in Las Vegas, and we'll get to that very shortly, I'm sure. And I've said this over and over and over again, like that team in LA is that you can't depend on them for anything. And I honestly think that Brandon Staley may actually be the worst head coach in all of football. And until they move on from, from, from Brandon Staley, that you will continue to see this team underachieve. Yes, Justin Herbert is, is spectacular. I absolutely love their running back. Keenan Allen is one of the most underrated players in football. But if you're going to ask me, if every time you have the best quarterback, the best head coach in um, division, especially, and I think the Chiefs' defense is so damn underrated. Like, no, give me the Chiefs for what the sixth, seventh straight year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kansas City as well. Uh, n- none of these other teams are in the race. We see the Broncos; they're not going to come around. They're still, you know, three games back. Um, and we know what the other teams are in the division, especially the Chargers. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs to win the AFC West at the midpoint of the season. Over now into your division, NFC North. Who do you have winning this division at the midpoint of the year now? Hurts me to say it, but thankfully it's not the Vikings or the Lions. So I'm just going to say Detroit. I'm sorry, not the Vikings or the Bears. But it's the Detroit Lions. I, I think, as I said, they're constructed so well because they built them from the Lions. Offensive lane is the strength of this unit than the defensive lane. Um, you know, we know Aiden Hutchinson draft before that they got Pinesul. You talked about how Jared Goff has looked for the last what what calendar year? That's about nineteen or twenty games. He's looked elite, no doubt. Uh, I'm in Ross and Brown is a stud wide receiver. Now you're trying to add Jameson Williams into the fold and Jameer Gibbs looks absolutely fantastic. Yep. At some point defense is gonna catch up. But it's Detroit Lance. Yeah, Detroit as well. Uh this this is a one team race also before Kirk tore, tore his Achilles, you, you know, you saw me post on social. I was like, hey, the Vikings have turned the corner. This game against the Niners is what they needed. Kirk had the master class in prime time. They clicked on all cylinders. I know they only won 22 to 17. That's what the Vikings do. But in terms of Vikings football, it really felt damn near perfect. And I thought they were going to turn the corner and maybe be able to compete with the Lions because it looked like now they were becoming the Vikings that I expected them to be coming into the year. Not a great team, but better than they were playing. And, and a lot of people had hype on them. I'm going to go to the Lions as well. Clearly, we're not looking at the Bears, and I'm sorry, man, but the Packers just aren't it this year. I'll make sure you to get the Bears for you, though, in New Orleans. I appreciate <laughs> I that. I hope, man, because I don't know. What no, you're, you're good to go. Yeah, I'll knock on wood. We got Tyson Bajant from uh, playing D2 football last year, too. Now he's going to come into New Orleans against that defense on the road, so we'll see what happens. Speaking of New Orleans, who you have winning the NFC South? Um, at first, I thought we'd run away with your Saints, but your coaching staff is just trying their best to keep teams in this game. Yeah, we're, we're trying to give it away. 
a train, and I did not expect Baker Mayfield to be half decent, but I'm going to still have to lean. Like, I got to lean with your defense, and at some point, I have to think that your offensive brain trust is going to get it figured out. I absolutely love Chris Olave, by the way. It's just like, I, I'm so un, I'm unhappy that I didn't get him. I think Christian Watson is okay, but I really would prefer to have Olave. So, because I trust Derek Carr more than any other quarterback in the division, and just just by that fact alone, and you have a great defense. I'm going to say New Orleans Saints. Yeah, man, me too. Um, even if I wasn't a Saints fan, when I just look at the Falcons right now, I don't trust. You know, they just benched Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, shouldn't be- have started the season to begin with. Oh, say again. He shouldn't have started the season. That he's trash. But that's another yeah. conversation. I had a little bit of faith in him just watching him in my division. You know, I saw him at Cincinnati. I, I did think he was one of the better quarterbacks like him and Malik Willis were, you know, two of my favorites coming in last year. Um, but when you look at just how the Falcons are playing right now, you know, the yes, they are sitting at a, a decent record, of course, in the in the division. Uh, but I don't trust the quarterback from this point out. I don't. And, and it's not that Taylor Heineke's bad, but if you're having to bench and move over, that's just not going to make me feel super confident for you winning the division later on in the year. The Panthers are the Panthers, and and you know maybe the Bucks could sneak around. I, I I feel like I'd feel better about the Bucks winning this division, even though Atlanta did just beat them. The Bucks winning this division, you know, behind my Saints, but I'm, I'm of course I'm going to pick New Orleans. Uh, NFC East. Ooh, I'm going to still ride with Philly. I don't like what I'm seeing from Jim Hurts, your boy, but I kind of figured the drop off was inevitable because you did lose Shane Steichen, and That's you me. are. Yeah, that hurts. And then you're transitioning away from such a run-heavy offense into you're not putting him in harm's way as much, which was a huge part of Jalen um, Hurts' game. Like having him as a dual threat, like you know, defenses have to worry. But no, you are trying to make him more into a pocket passer. And for whatever reason, whether you know the threat of the run is gone or is it a situation where he's taking the time to adjust his system, the accuracy, the turnovers are are are, are a bit troubling. But because, like, even through all that, they're seven to one. So I am going to have to say they are a slightly more complete team than Dallas Cowboys. I think Philadelphia's defense has always been a little bit overrated because they do force, when they were great last year, they were forcing a lot of turnovers and not great against the run. The issue is, though, it all comes down to head coaching and quarterbacks. And if you're going to ask me who am I going to trust more, Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts, or, you know, <laughs> my former head coach in Mike McCarthy and um, why are names fighting me so bad? I can see his face. So that Prescott, I'm just going to have to lean towards Sirianni and that Jiller. So that's where I get the edge over Dallas. So Dallas instead of Philly. No, I'm going for, that's why I give Philadelphia the edge oh, over okay, Dallas. Okay. Okay. I heard you backwards. Got you. Yeah. I'm going to go the Eagles as well. Giants aren't it. Uh, commanders are selling everything off right now the cowboys are a good team i'm not going to say they're a great team because we see when the offense is not clicking they're not all that and if the defense doesn't come out and have a great day force a turnover score off of a turnover multiple mistakes that they're able to make for the offense or influence the offense to make then they're just not the same team i do believe the eagles are the most complete team in this division it's a one-team race when it's going to come down to it i know they play on sunday we'll talk about that later in the show uh, NFC East, the winner at this midpoint in the season, the Philadelphia Eagles. NFC West. The San Francisco 49ers. I love how the Seattle Seahawks have built their franchise, make no mistake. And, you know, sometimes they sleep on Pete Carroll and they need to stop that. But at some stage, the San Francisco 49ers are going to get back to who they are. I think 
losing D'Amico Reigns as your defensive coordinator was a bigger blow than most would have, you know, want to admit to. And so you've seen the slippage in that defense. And Brock Purdy had to come back to earth at some point. Like, there is a reason you were mystery relevant. Like, you're not going to be the next coming of Joe Montana. I just, just couldn't expect that. Um, but I still love their offense, especially how you can put anyone anywhere. Like, when you look at all their Jotnate players, like you talk about Christian McCaffrey for MVP or even Offensive Player of the Year. Like, he is easily running back one. Like, there's no RB1, sorry. There's no doubt about that. Like you and, and I love their personnel where you can put anyone everywhere. I think Kyle Huschek is the most underrated player in the entire league because I love that you can use him as a fullback, as a running back. You can yeah. put him in tight end. You can spin him wide, and that is just the versatility of all of them from George Kittle to to, to Brandon Ayuk. Um, Debo Samuel, who's been hurt. And when he comes back, I think this team is going to be unstoppable. I right. know that they have gone after Chase Young because they've admitted, no, they're not getting after the passer like they should. They don't know. Outside of Nick Bosa, they're really not getting home. Mm-hmm. Eventually, no. Right, no, no. Too. Yep. Now that you've added Chase Young, I think then you realize that your defense is not where it's supposed to be. But I love the talent on San Francisco and I like the coaching. Right. So I'm going to take San Francisco over Seattle. Clearly, they are the first in the um, They're still being able to click on all elements or, or within all elements of the game. So clearly, they're earning that that top position in the division. But I think the Niners are the more complete team. I like the coach. I like the defense. I like the roster. I like the experience of where this team has actually been in recent memory. So I'm going to go with the uh, 49ers as well. Last midseason check-in segment here before we roll on into the Raiders. Who is your Super Bowl matchup? What teams are in your Super Bowl matchup, rather, as we are in the midpoint of the year? I mean, when a guy goes to five straight AFC Championship games in his five seasons, like it's kind of hard to rule that. Oh, I want to say since I want to say Cincinnati, right? You know what? I'm going to lean towards Cincinnati making it simply because, right? And I know I said Baltimore win the division. They do have that because they have that one game advantage in terms of beating and, and, and Ravens beating Cincinnati early in the season, right? Bengals but as it gets known, Bengals had no reason to lose that game because the Ravens were so injured. Yep. So. I do expect as much as Baltimore to win the division. I still think Cincinnati is going to go further. But you talked about it. Like, Lou Anarumo is such a good town coordinator, right? I and think he could be in the head coaching conversation next year. For some oh, he will be at some point. There's no doubt about that. Um, but the completeness of that of, uh, of that roster, and I am seeing too much at some point, right? Because it can't all be Travis Kelsey. You yeah. don't have enough other playmakers. Skymore is not it. Uh, um, there was a reason that Kadarius Tony got traded for Mariah Carey CD and, and, and Peanuts. Like, he's just not it. At some point, somebody. I mean, I know Kansas City's defense is really good, but I think Cincinnati overall is a more balanced team. So I'm going to say Cincinnati and San Francisco. I think Black, you are going to see that. Well, that's my, that's my matchup. I like Cincinnati and San Francisco. That would be a sweet Super Bowl. I've actually got Cincinnati on the AFC side as well. You talk about the Chiefs. They haven't played their best football over the last four or five weeks, you know, over the past month. And it is only Travis Kelsey, Kadarius, eh, Sky Moore's dropping touchdown passes to make the game close against the Broncos. And, and that's why I was like, hey, that game wasn't a blowout. Sky Moore catches that. I think we're having a completely different conversation. The fact that the Chiefs 
don't make a trade deadline move was pretty concerning to me. I thought they were one of the biggest losers of the deadline because they didn't go get anybody. And I know Mahomes was in someone's ear about getting him a pass catcher. So that worries me later on in the year when they possibly meet a Lou Anarumo type of defense, when they possibly meet a Buffalo Bills type of defense. Like that scarcity of offensive talent is not going to be something that gets you to a Super Bowl. Um, so I'm going to stick with the Bengals on the AFC side. I'm going with the Eagles, though. I think the Eagles are going to go back to the Super Bowl, 7-1 record. I think they're by far the best team in the NFC. Of course, we see the Lions. Of course, we see some other teams in the San Francisco 49ers as well. And that would be, you know, my top three in the NFC in no specific order. Well, of course, the Eagles at one. Um, but, you know, the experience that this team has, I almost want to flip to the Niners as I'm thinking about it because it's a very good claim, and, and we know how complete they are as a roster, but I'm going to stick to my guns. Ingles, excuse me, Ingles, Eagles <laughs> versus Bengals. I could very well see a Niners Bengals Super Bowl though, because we know once Debo Samuel comes back um, and hopefully Brock Purdy shakes off some of this rust he's going through. I know he doesn't have Trent Williams, but three straight losses is a little bit of a concern for me. So that's why I'll stand pat on the Eagles. Now onto the Raiders, they fire their head coach, Josh McDaniels and the GM Dave Ziegler. And you would think that the Raiders won the Super Bowl at this point of the year with how happy the fans are. <laughs> I've seen multiple Raider accounts, just absolutely ecstatic about it. And maybe this is what I'll feel like once the Saints move on from Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael. So maybe I'm kind of getting to, you know, they always say to manifest and kind of, you know, mentally rehearse your dreams. Well, it's a dream of mine yep. to have Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael get away, but uh, I'll remove the Saints toxicity. From this, um, from this topic. So, yeah, the Raiders do clean house. Were you shocked it happened this early? I didn't look it up, but this has to be one of the earliest head coach firings we've seen in a long time. I know last year wasn't very good. You know, Devontae Adams is pissed. You ship your, uh, your Derek Carr. You ship Derek Carr, your quarterback, out. Were you shocked it happened this early? I usually expect coaches to hang around until about Thanksgiving or so. But we are three weeks out, and maybe they've seen enough. I was shocked that he was hired to begin with. Yeah. They, yeah, I feel like you've got a lot of a lot to say about Josh McDaniels. Too, oh, I know you get you get deep on those coaches, and that's why I wanted you on for this one. Oh, for sure. Like the first thing is right. Like no, I was not shocked because when we heard about that player-led meeting, right, that was like you had to know that he was not going to survive that because, and then you heard Devontae for three straight weeks bemoaning his role in the offense, and it's crazy. Yeah. Like, like did you realize that Devontae Adams, despite changing quarterback still led the nfl in touchdown receiving for the last two seasons still yeah, crazy like so this is still an elite wide receiver who got over what two previous weeks not this last week but the two combined weeks nine targets right over two weeks like that's crazy so for the moment that Devontae adams came out and you had to listen to Devontae adams because you gave up a first and a second round pick for this dude so the moment that he started you know talking about his rolling offense you had to know he was gone and I've told you I do not rate Josh McDaniels. Like, this is a guy, another guy who's made his career from coaching Tom Brady because the moment, like, we know about the situation where he turned on the Colts, he went to Denver Broncos and it was a failure, and I don't understand why he was just given another chance to prove. And this is a guy then, you saw how toxic he was. Your locker room leader is Derek Carr. <laughs> like, for the moment, you can push out Derek Carr, right? And Darren Waller wants nothing to do with you as well. You got to get rid of that like, because Darren that was out of there too. Like you get rid of your two locker room leaders, right? That tells me already. Like I don't have to be in that locker room or that building to know that this is just a toxic human being. And yep. then 
I'm sure I can tell you as a Packer fan, but I'm sure on the outside looking in, you've never heard Devontae Adams talk this much ever in his entire life. Nah, you know, I, you know, speaking of that, Justin, I was shocked. It kind of it kind of tilted the scale for me a little bit in a way that I didn't like with Devontae Adams. He blatantly said, if I remember correctly, he did not care about the team's overall success or image. He cared about his image and his production. And he was like, that you know, y'all know who I am. You guys know what I do. I'm more for my personal stats. He, he said something to that extent. And when I, I'm going to have to go look it back up, so I'm not butchering it. But when he said that, I was like, wow. And, and when, you know, when you have an elite quarterback, a, a four-time MVP and Aaron Rodgers throwing you footballs your whole career, and outside of one turf toe injury, you would have had X amount of consecutive double-digit touchdown years. You know, some of that can can cover those things up but I was I was shocked and you're so right we've never heard Devontae Adams talk this much and we know when we hear when we start hearing superstars speak out in an organization like that I mean I thought Devontae could possibly get moved you you take his teammate away from him so it's like why the hell is he there maybe AOC can find a connection with him and he probably can because Devontae is seeming like he can mesh with you know a good bit of people hopefully but yeah him talking a lot was uh something that, that was taking note of so when he was talking he's like yep it was only a matter of time. And then, as I said, like, Josh McDaniels has, you know, rested his hat on the offensive side of the ball. This is a team that has struggled so bad. You have Josh Jacobs. You had, well, you had Derek Carr, but he's gone now. You had Hunter Renfrew. You have Devontae Adams. And your team is so bad offensively that the only teams that score less points than you league are the Patriots. And who am I looking at? It's the Patriots and the Giants. You're averaging 15.8 points per game, and you, as a head coach, are supposedly an offensive mastermind. So the answer really is no. Like, I was shocked he was hired to begin with, and I knew that he was going to be fired just around the corner. Yeah, we knew he was going to be let go this season as well. And, you know, when you bring Devontae in, you have his quarterback with him. You cut his quarterback. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs isn't happy. The first-round pick this year looks kind of like a bust. You know, Tyree Wilson, I don't believe, has even gotten a start yet this year, if I'm not mistaken, for the Raiders. Um, I, I was shocked it happened this early, though. You know, but hey, I, I also respect the aggressiveness and the honesty that this team maybe feels like they're starting to come around to because, I mean, when you're halfway through the year and you're 3-5, and five, like, I, I think you know what you are. You're not going to make too many drastic changes after the trade deadline as a team unless you bring in a guy that's clearly going to move that. Um, and the Raiders didn't, you know, make a move for any defensive player that they really needed or any position to really, you know, to really fill the holes. We didn't see a lot of movement at at this year's trade deadline. But I, I was shocked that it happened this early, and I totally agree with you that he shouldn't have been hired. We've seen these teams, you know, multiple teams in the past go through the Bill Belichick tree and, and try to branch out and see how things are going to work. It doesn't necessarily fare well for all those guys outside of the tree. Um, you know, and Josh McDaniels at times – could be a decent offensive coordinator and call plays, but when he was a head coach for the Broncos, he wasn't that great. When we saw him bounce around to other coordinator positions outside of Belichick, it wasn't really anything to be desired. And we know Mark Davis, he loves those flashy moves. Oh, let me go hire John Gruden, who was retired. Now let me go get Josh McDaniels, who was under um, Bill Belichick. Oh, now I'm going to go draft Alex Leatherwood because I watched the NFC champion, or excuse me, the, uh, the national championship, and I think Alex Leatherwood is going to be amazing. And then you draft. And that just goes to show where they're at with Mark Davis. And that's a little, you know, testy to get into the whole owner situation because that's a lot to go through. We saw how long it took the Broncos to get sold. We saw how long it took the Commanders to finally get sold. Um, so that'll be something to be desired. You, you were chiming in, though? 
oh, because no, no, I'm just waiting because they thought you were going to transition to the next question because I can tell you this is solely really on Mark Davis and that's how you see the, 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 that's why there are franchises that are all constantly good and then there are franchises that are constantly bad because like this is the culture of the Raiders. Like, like yep. you said, goals for flash over substance. And yep. now you're paying $80 million for two men not to coach. Not one, two. In yeah, wow. John Gruden and Josh McDaniels. And they, it's crazy. Hey. Yeah, they uh, they got some depths to pull themselves out of. Now, I understand if we can't get to the GM part because GMs are kind of, you know, scouted throughout the league and we don't necessarily have as much info on that. If you have a GM, that's great. Who do you think the next head coach should be? And like I mentioned, if you have a GM, uh, who, who the next GM and head coach that should be hired, in your opinion? They already had the head coach and then walked through the door. That's what I tell you about these bad franchises. Rich Basaccio was right there, right there for you all the time. And I know he's not a big name, and I know that he had some age to him. But let's go back to that half a season that he was interim coach, because this is very, very pertinent. What happened that season? The wheels were falling right off. First, the John Gruden mess. Well, there was something before that. But the John Gruden mess in which he got called out for, you know, exposed, sorry, for um, homophobic statements and also um, um, some, some, some racist statements as well. Right. You lose him. You had the Henry Rugg situation in which you lost yeah. your former first-round pick who went and killed, unfortunately killed a young lady in an awful car accident. Damon Arnett as well. There you go. You had another player lost due to to to, <laughs> to 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 legal situation, and then on top of that, right? I know you forget this point. Derek Carr goes on national TV and cries and talks about this team is not where he wants it to be, and there are players who are not giving their all. He has that emotional speech, right? Mm. And what and what happens after that, um, Adam? The team rallies around the head coach in Rich Passage. He is the man through all of that, through all of that commotion, chaos, whatever you want to talk, call it, toxicity. Most teams would have folded. Rich Passage was the man who put all of that together and said, we are going to make the playoffs. And they made a playoffs. And not only did they make a playoffs, they gave the Cincinnati Bengals a hell of a run in that first yeah, round um, match, match. But yeah, I know people forget that. They had the man in the building in Rich Passage. And then let him walk through the door. And I can tell you how good this man is because the Green Bay Packers have been bad on two sides of the football. And you know, the one side of the football that we haven't been bad at is the side of the football that Rich Passaccia currently coaches us. And that's special teams. We have been putrid on defense, even worse on offense. And our. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> that's so much I remember trash. our past conversations over years. Jeez. You're like, I just don't know what the hell Joe Barry is doing. I. Uh, yeah, I saw you poking me. You purposely poked and prodded me there. But <laughs> but Ritz Basashi was the guy in the building. Obviously, you're not going to go back to him, no. So you're asking me, you know, if it's a legit candidates. And you're talking about big, splashy hires, which Mark Davis will do. So first, I will give you the hire I think he's going to look towards. And if he does this, I have no problem because I absolutely love him. But you're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh. I absolutely love Jim Harbaugh, what he's built. He is a culture setter. He is a program builder. And you've seen him when he did it in San Francisco because, you know, the, the current regime under Cal Shanahan gets all he loved. But that was started first and foremost by the, the, the success that Jim Harbaugh, you know, had at, you know, in San Francisco. Then he goes to Michigan and we've talked about this all the time. Michigan just going to beat Ohio State, just going to win the big one. Big one. Yep. He goes there and now Ohio State just doesn't, can't have a, a solution for Jim Harbaugh. So I think 
this is the guy you want to bring back because not only is he a former NFL head coach, he's a former player, so he understands how to relate to players. He is a former quarterback, and not only does he know how to coach offenses, but even as much as his hat is hung on offense, all of Jim Harbaugh's teams are absolutely great at defending. And then so we're talking about Josh Jacobs running the football. John Harbaugh's teams, or sorry, Jim Harbaugh's teams are always predicated on run first. So I think he would be what Mark Davis was, and I think he would be a perfect hire. If you don't go Jim Harbaugh, I absolutely love either of Detroit's coordinators. Like I love Ben Johnson on offense, especially like the creativity that you see him have there in Detroit. Like they, they're they're willing to do any and everything on offense, and they're so difficult to stop. Like you've seen the progression. You now, like we all thought that Jared Goff was done, and Jared Goff was just um, a transition. Like, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, like we all thought that he was just a placeholder until Detroit would have obviously drafted a top quarterback in the first round. And that has not happened simply because Ben Johnson has redeveloped and, and made Jared Goff into a top tier. We're talking Jared Goff right now is playing he's top at 10 eight, quarterback in the league right now. And he's playing at a level of top five. I'm not going to say yeah. the top five quarterback, yeah, yeah. but the yeah, level yeah. he's playing at is playing. So it either go very confident, very poised. Yeah. It most definitely, yeah. So either of Detroit's coordinators, I'd lean towards the offensive side with Ben Johnson, but those are my top two, Jim Harbaugh, and I would say Ben Johnson, one and two. Love both of those, man, and I appreciate how you got into the breakdown, especially of Rich uh, Rich Basachi. Is that how you say it? Basachi? Rich, Rich, Rich Basachi. Okay, gotcha. I just totally butchered that twice. So I'm not even going to try it again. I just called him Rich <laughs> Versace, and that's definitely not his name, but I love how you do the breakdown on that, and I agree. When you have a guy like that in the building, when you – are able to take the Bengals, who that year went to the Super Bowl, and you're able to take them to the wire. That was, I think that was the Bengals' first playoff win in like 50 years or something yep. like that. They were on a massive playoff, playoff drought, and to know that he came in and coached very well for them, and or at least, you know, in the interim phase and even in the playoff game is, is very impressive. Ben Johnson, no question about that. Two more names I got, though. Frank Smith, the OC for the Dolphins. He's okay. not going to be a very best-kept secret for much longer. Someone nope. out there is going to reach for Frank Smith, offer him big money because of the fact that he's under Mike McDaniel. And I'm not saying that Frank Smith is not helping Mike McDaniel, but I do believe it's kind of a – and this is going to be a stretch, but hear me out. Stay with me. Frank Smith to Mike McDaniel might be kind of like Pete Carmichael to Sean Payton because we've seen so much of Mike McDaniel on the front lines, the cameras, the interviews. You know, We were assuming and we know that he is the play caller for Miami. And Frank Smith is over there, obviously, with the toolage, being able to draw up plays, you know, on the on the back end, kind of his best kept secret, but best kept secret, but not for much longer. And and again, it was a little bit of an, an unfair comparison because Pete Carmichael has clearly fallen off a cliff. I don't believe that'll happen with Frank Smith, you know, but knowing that he is that sidecar to to Mike McDaniel, I think he's going to get a lot of looks. Eric Bieniemy also signed just a two year deal back in February with Washington. Washington is now blowing it up. Eric Bieniemy's contract also had a promotion entitled contractual clause in it as well. So he could get elevated, you know, to head coach for Washington. And I even said he, he he's thinking bigger, right? He wants to go to Washington. He sees the roster they have, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Clearly, they're both gone now. They still have some more guys on that line. But I said, look, Eric Bieniemy's thinking bigger. He knows he's going to be head coach. Ron Rivera is on his way out. But if for some reason the Raiders did whatever they could to bring Bieniemy in, or Ben Johnson, or Frank Smith, I think that's the top three guys right there. This is not a league to where you can be a defensive-minded head coach. Bill Belichick, no. Dennis Allen, no. Mike Vrabel, no. Like, <laughs> they are, 
you know, outside of Dennis Allen, they are decent coaches, good coaches in some aspects, but like those aren't going to be the guys that are engineering those top offenses, those top teams really pushing for the Lombardi at the end of the year. I'm out on defensive minded head coaches, especially since I'm at the mercy of one right now. <laughs> Give me a guy like a Ben Johnson, like a Frank Smith, like an Eric Bieniemy, who I think the Saints should also be in the market for next year. I think the Raiders could be in that uh, in that chasing as well. Now we see Antonio Pierce step in. He immediately names Aiden O'Connell the starter. He immediately is bringing great energy. Like again, Raiders fans will feel like they won the damn Super Bowl with this firing, cleaning house of the head coach and GM. Do you see the Raiders turning their season around from what it was now that Aiden O'Connell is the guy going forward and Antonio Pierce uh, just steps in as the interim? I don't see it turning around in terms of results on the field, but I will say what you will see it turn around is the culture. And like players respect former players. It is what it is. And when you're a former Super Bowl winning player like he is, like he commands a level of respect. And he's already in the building. The players will respect and ask that because they know like this is not, you know, like a French player is talking to us. So I the wins and raw losses may not show up, but I think the overall culture and you're not gonna see Devontae Adams talk as much now. And yeah. I think you're going to see kind of like what Rich Basasha did, as I told you. The only difference is that that resulted in wins and losses. I just think like you're now too far behind the eight ball and you're going with an unproven quarterback. In a AFC West ruled by 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 the um, Chiefs, by Mahomes and Herbert at the very least, Russell Wilson coming around as well, kind of quietly having a year. The Broncos are quietly heating up, and that's the thing. Like you're in a division with Sean Payton and um, Andy <laughs> Reid. Like as much as I'm not yeah. a fan of Sean Payton anymore, but like yeah, it's I don't know that it's going to show up on the wins and losses, but the overall culture most definitely you will see it. Steve, was thinking about you before I got on the show. You're definitely one of the MVPs, man. You comment on everything. You are so religious <laughs> with it, and I love it. He said, brothers, the Raiders are going nowhere. They're a basket case since AI kicked the bucket. Oh, who, who's AI? I'm, I'm missing out. I know he's not talking about Allen Iverson. Oh, obviously not. AI. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yes, but yeah. nonetheless, the first part of your statement there is definitely accurate. I don't think the Raiders are going anywhere either. Um, you know, it's it's a culture. You know, it's it's the culture that they are at the mercy of right now. We didn't even mention Chandler Jones, who just basically said, I'm not playing for y'all anymore. <laughs> you know, um, and, and it's so deeply rooted when we see, you know, Chandler Jones, Henry Ruggs, Deron Payne, a guy like John Gruden, like Waller's leaving, Carr is leaving, Adams is speaking out, Jacobs isn't happy, Al Davis, excuse me, um, Got you. Sorry about that. Al Davis. Al, not oh. AI. Al. Sorry. Oh, okay. Got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, they, they've been all out of sorts, no doubt. And, and I'm with you. I think we could see a slight culture turnaround because simply the fact that, like, they have both of those guys out of there now. Antonio Pierce steps in. He's immediately making a change. He was very confident and said, no, Aiden's the guy. That's who we want. That's who we're going to go with. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a major turnaround, but if they are winning some games, if they are at least putting a better product on the field, whether it does or doesn't reflect in wins or losses, I think the fans will feel better. It'll look like a better team, and who knows what the Raiders could possibly turn into after this. This is why we get on the show and speculate, we predict, but I would love for the Raiders to be just a, a back-half turnaround second team. It would make the league uh, absolutely go crazy, and I always love seeing teams just come out of nowhere, especially like we've seen in recent years just going to take a short break real quick this has been the nfl with ajl episode 50 
Holy crap. Can't believe we're 50 mm-hmm. shows in. Uh, appreciate the support from everybody. Justin, thank you for hopping on the show. We're about to get into some more topics, of course. Wherever you guys are at, please make sure to like and share the stream. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the bell so you never miss a post at the NFL with AJL. Hashtag the NFL with AJL, my man, on all social media platforms. A QR code there, as Justin is pointing to, will give you every bit of content. And if you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough at this Justin Sports Show as well for Justin on all social media platforms. Check out his pod and his content as well. And as always, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs, looking to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate. Make sure you get that team on your side to make sure you're very successful in this ever-changing real estate market, whether you're a buyer or a seller. Get at them on social media at Buy and Sell with AJL. You can drop your email down in the comments to get on their exclusive newsletter and be able to take advantage of some of their AI programs they put into the business that really give sellers and buyers the nitty-gritty on what they need to know in today's real estate market. Buy and sell with AJL, turning clients into family by prioritizing people over transactions. And let's talk about Will Levis, man, a guy who I wasn't very high on coming out of the NFL draft. I thought his throws were just kind of lazy. They were a little airy. I didn't like the form and just overall his game was not standing out to me like some of these other prospects that were that were in. But Will Levis kind of seems to have arrived. We saw the first game against the Falcons, of course, you know, everyone was raving about him. Then we see the second game against the Steelers, which was much less from him. No touchdowns, one interceptions and a loss. He almost threw two picks versus the first game against the Falcons, four touchdowns, no picks. And he got the W at home wearing the sick-ass Houston Oilers uniforms. I absolutely love that for him. So from just two games, man, do you think the Titans have finally got their quarterback or the future, or is it at least enough for them to show that he's got some promise? I will say he's shown enough that he should be the starter for the rest of the season, regardless of Ryan Tannehill's health. Like, like you're not playing for a Super Bowl here, so like there's no reason to continue trotting out Ryan Tannehill up there. Like you have to see what you have. We know Malik Willis is not it right now. Like we've seen that for two seasons. This is not it. I'm not in favor of the fans booing him, but yeah, like he's not it. <sighs> I wanted to pump the brakes on the love of Will Levis after the you know beating the Falcons because at the end of the day, it is the Falcons, and for as decent as defense maybe, like. They have the second fewest sacks, I think. They don't get after the quarterback, and they have the second fewest interceptions. So it's not like they're forcing people into to mistakes. So, like, they want to, you know, and you're playing at home, Houston Oilers jersey. So you had a lot right. of emotion just, right all, in it. It all lined up for him. Felt like the swag. Everything. Right there. So I said I was going to judge him last night on the Steelers game. And what I saw was a very solid performance, a very encouraging performance. Right. And this is where I tell everyone coaching matters so much. Yeah. So Mike Vrabel is such a great coach, right? What he did was he put him in a lot of run-heavy formations, right? Had a lot of max protects in that. So everything that was coming, a lot of it was coming out of play action. You know, they're punching or they're shoving Derrick Henry down your throat. So they're making the throws a lot easier for him. And you're just not going five wide with limited protection and asking him to make a lot of checks out the line. And I thought... If this is the game plan that you're going to have, if this is a steady progression that you're going to see, Will Levis has a very high chance to succeed in Tennessee. Like that, like you're not putting, you're not throwing him at the wolves. You're not throwing a lot at him. And what I saw against a very, very good defense. Like I know he got sacked four times, but when you're playing Alex Hightower and you're playing TJ Watt in front of you, and if you only have the one interception, you still had a good game. Like in that secondary. 
yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and, and you know, I, I was encouraged by what I saw. I'm not going to go right out there and say, oh my gosh, this is the next star. Tennessee's got their man. But yeah, I, if I'm Mike Vrabel, I like what I see so far and I'm going to like give him the rest of the season to figure out what I have. But so far, so good for me. And like you said, when everyone was touting Will Levis, Will Levis, I was one who didn't have him as a first round pick either. So nope. I was like, oh yeah, I'll put the brakes there. But Tennessee may have their man. Yeah. They very well may. And, uh, you know, you see Will Levis in these couple of games. That You know, the biggest thing that stands out to me is he just looks so confident. He looks like he's already played six, seven, eight NFL games before. And that could be a testament to him coming out of the SEC. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel bad for not giving him that benefit because I'll turn right around and say that, you know, that's why Bo Nix is able to play so well at Oregon. And that's why I trust him a good Nick coming up in this college class is because he played at Auburn. He saw Georgia. He saw Florida. He saw Mizzou. He saw South Carolina. He saw SEC competition. And it's no surprise that once he leaps from the SEC and goes to the Pac-12 at Oregon, that he's in the Heisman conversation. You know, he's going to be a first round pick. And Bo Nix is absolutely great. Sticking with Will Levis, though, that could be an attribute as to why, you know, he's played decent great in the first game and then decent, you know, uh, is last, yeah, it was last night against the Steelers. I was trying to think <laughs> yeah. for a second. Uh, but, you know, you see the first game against the Falcons. Again, everyone's raving about him. Four touchdowns, no picks, gets the W. I thought he stood in the pocket very confidently, made throws even when he was blitzed or in a muddy pocket. And the early drop from Traylon Burks even was a very nice throw. I want to send some prayers up for Traylon Burks as well. We see him get knocked out. Of course, in the game against the Steelers, he has to be taken off the field. He had another late throw on the uh, down on the left sideline as well to Traylon Burks, but you know, very poised on most of his throws. Had that connection with D Hop. Clearly, a gorgeous first touchdown bomb to him in the game where he throws three touchdowns to DeAndre Hopkins, four in total on the day. And he really showed off his arm. You know, nice tight throws, some good screen passes. And again, my knock on him was his lazy form, floating his throw too much. It just didn't seem like a fluid game for a fourth round quarterback coming out of the SEC to come into the NFL and really perform at a high level. He just wasn't hesitating to let it go, you know, in the Falcons game. Only one turnover-worthy throw, which was that dropped interception, and he only took one bad sack as well. And I just thought it was really impressive debut against a Falcons team who was top five in defense in terms of yards per game. I want to say at the time they were third. Now they've dropped to the sixth. Then you turn around. Now he's on the road, out of the swagger uniforms, up against a very smash-mouth defense, Mike Tomlin. T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, Minka, Patrick Peterson, all those names that we were just putting out there. And the second game against the Steelers, you know, was, of course, much less from him. He was definitely tested. He threw one interception, no scores, took the loss, almost threw two more picks. And then finally, with the with the third turnover worthy throw in terms of the interception, they do snag it from him. But, you know, they had pressure on him all night. And I think that was the big thing that the Steelers possibly picked on, picked up on from the Falcons was, hey, they, and that was the thing about Atlanta, too, is Atlanta was putting pressure on Will Levis, and Will Levis was hanging in there. He was confident, was making the throw. So Mike Tomlin said, okay, I'm really going to see if he's able to do that. Defensive coordinator said, okay, we're really going to dial up that pressure on him. And we saw time in and time out that his form was declining some, you know, a lot more miscues and inaccuracy with the pressure on him coming from Pittsburgh. He almost threw those two interceptions late in the game, which wasn't pretty. Of course, he throws the game-sealing interception to Pittsburgh in that uh, you know, does end the game. They end up getting out of there with the loss. But the fact that he was driving down for the win on the road against that defense, pretty That's impressive. You have to take some positives away from that. We're two games in. Of course, we're being prisoners of the moment, maybe some bias, a little overreacting. But I was impressed with Will Levis because what I saw in the preseason debut, what I saw in preseason in general, knowing that 
how I felt about him coming out of the draft. And now he's performing like this in his first two games. I have to give the guy credit. No doubt about it. He did take that final sack or the, or the final sack that he did take in the game against Pittsburgh. That showed, you know, guy was right in front of his face. Uh, you know, he's really just got to improve his pocket presence, be aware of of the of the rushers around him. And he, he wasn't as decisive against Pittsburgh as he was against Atlanta. You know, he missed a wide open touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins across the middle of the end zone. So he had some more to be desired. He had some things to be uh, or, or, you know, some things to improve on. I, I see that I put the second question on here, but it's really the same as the first. So overall, we talked about the Titans possibly getting their guy of the future. From what you saw from Will Levis, were you satisfied with the first two games, or do you feel like there's more to be desired, uh, desired based off of no, what you went up against? I'm 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 satisfied simply because that you mentioned it. Like I'll throw up the Atlanta game again. Like as much as the performance, everyone thinks the performance against Atlanta was better than this. I always thought that Thursday night in Pittsburgh was going to be barometer for me, right? Like no, like I, you're on the road against a veteran Pittsburgh defense, against Mike Tallman. And as much as you said that he had a chance to have multiple, you know, interceptions, the game ceiling sack and all that, this is a rookie. This is a rookie making his... Yeah, a rookie second-round pick. A rookie second-round pick making his second NFL start and first on the road. And we're... I mean, like, your first NFL road game is in Pittsburgh, of all places, that you couldn't have asked for a worse place. And still, as you said, like he's driving Tennessee with a chance to win. Like you have to come away feeling good about it. And I'm not here going to be a prisoner of the moment, as you said, and you know, crown him as Tennessee's star of the future. But I am turning this over. Like, sorry, Ryan Tannehill. Like, this is the end. Like, I've got to see what I have in Will Levis. And for what I see, like Mike Vrabel has to be smiling ear to ear. Like, gotta be. Like, he's just like I am enthused with what I saw. Like, it could be way 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 worse and it was like i don't want to come right on and say like the kid but i like the kid yeah he does look very solid man he looks very solid without a question i'm satisfied as well now you know i'm, I'm just gonna pull up the the uh titan schedule real quick because i want to see you know the, the outlook so they got the bucks it's gonna be a tough defense i got the jags gonna be a tough defense both those are on the road they have the panthers at home they have the colts at home they're gonna go play the dolphins on the road they're going to play the Texans at home, Seahawks at home, on the road against the Texans again, or on the road against the Texans, and then they're going to host the Jags. So, you know, looking through this schedule, I mean, I feel okay about them against the Bucks, Colts, and Panthers, but I feel like everywhere else, Seahawks, Titans, Texans twice, Jags twice, that's going to be a little tough, and knowing that um, I want to make sure I have the record correct before I just say <coughs> that they are a 3-5 and five football team. Bless you if you just sneezed. I wasn't sure if that's what that was. Yeah, um, it was. But, you know, being a three and five football team like they could possibly only have six to seven wins coming out of the year, which was better than what I thought. I had the uh, I had the Titans winning like three to five football games coming into the year. You know, I didn't know if Will, Will, Will Levis was really going to get any playing time, but I had to give that respect to Mike Vrabel. Uh, so I'm happy for Titans fans. I'm happy for Will Levis. I hope he's a hit because he was pretty fun to watch in both of these games and him overall playing the way he did I mean so poised so confident yes he was a little more hesitant to let it go in the Pittsburgh game but you're on the road you're against a historically legendary culture um, of a defense and just the defense in general so it's definitely going to be exciting to see what Will Levis has for us going forward I brought the right guy on the show to talk about the Aaron Rodgers injury <laughs> speculation I'm pretty sure Aaron I even Rodgers wore to Aaron Rodgers number 12 said that he's not coming back 
this year just because it wouldn't be feasible. But the Jets GM, I think, beforehand said that he expects Aaron Rodgers back this year. Man, the Jets are four and three. Should his return even be considered at this point, knowing he's only two months removed from that Achilles injury? And I understand probably very revolutionary. Aaron Rodgers is going to tell us that he's doing stuff that's never been done before. And it's very well so. He's got a lot of money. He's got access to things that we don't have access to. But we're talking about an Achilles injury. We see Cam Akers come back early, and he doesn't look that solid. What are your thoughts on this? Again, should it even be considered at this point with the Jets sitting at four and three? You said it all, right? Even if the Jets were, let's say, six and one, I'd say no. Are, are even on whatever like and say absolutely not and the reason being like first i know i know first time aaron Rodgers believes he's the smartest guy in the room at all times and he believes in this new age you know you know medicine and science but there are two things first you mention it you have an achilles injury and usually it takes at least five to six months for your achilles to fully heal right. i know you mentioned cam Akers didn't make like two years ago made a comeback within five months. But Cam Akers at the time was 22 years old. Right. You're almost <laughs> you're almost twice his age. You're going to be 40 in December. Yeah. And the thing is about Achilles, while I know it's not his right Achilles where he's going to put more, because of a quarterback, you know, you plant your right leg and you use the force of momentum from the ground for your right leg, even though Aaron Rodgers is not a lower half thrower, it's all his arm, like his arm is so, so great. So like it's usually his upper body that gets its most momentum from because a lot of time his feet are not even on the ground. That being said, you're 40 years old. You have to get outside your pocket. You still have to create something with your legs simply because you are playing behind a very porous offensive line. Like, and you saw that in the opener. That's why he went down like what four plays into the season because your offensive line really is bad. So like to bring him back and the reason why he wouldn't like rushed him back because I know a lot of people saying, oh, New York Jets are right there four and three. I'd call this season a wash. And you know the reason why I'd call this season a wash? You still have next season to get this done. Like there's you're under no pressure to do it this year. And I say that because both Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall, your offensive and defensive rookies of the year last year, both of them are are still on rookie contracts. Like Quinnen Williams is like what loaded up for the next or like locked up for the next five or six years yeah. um so too i think what is dj reed dj reed still has like what he's still locked up so too alan lazard and jordan whitehead i think he's on a shorter contract but jordan whitehead still is under contract next season i've just mentioned the nucleus of your squad on both sides of the football like quinnon williams dj reed sauce gardner um jordan whitehead um Brees hall um, who am I looking at? Alan Lazard. Oh, and how can I forget Garrett Wilson? Also, also on a rookie contract. Like the nucleus of your squad is still locked up for next season. There's absolutely no rush to this. Like, yes, I'm glad to see that he's healing quickly. But what are you coming back this season to do? Like, if you come back this season, or what if at 40 years old your Achilles can't be fully healthy? Like, it's just gonna take one bad hit, and that's the end of your career. Because I'm surprised. Yeah. You're done. So, like, just wait. Just pump the brakes. Wait for next season. It's good. Now you're getting Zach Wilson another year of development. And who knows? Like, you can keep Zach Wilson as your backup for another season. And whenever Aaron Rodgers is done, you may have had your start of the future because you've been able to develop him. There is absolutely no reason to rush him back. And 
I don't see it medically possible for a 40-year-old quarterback to come back this quickly. Yeah, it would be it would be a major shock if Aaron Rodgers was actually able to come back that quick. And I don't think it should even be considered, you know, like you said, you've got at least one more year out of Rodgers, if not two. I know he's not just going to play one year in New York knowing that the Achilles did hold him back and he wasn't able to play in a very highly anticipated season with the Jets. Uh, but I don't think it should be considered, even if the Jets were 7-1. and one, Well, I won't say that. If the Jets were possibly in a better position to where maybe they were competing for the division, which they're 4-3, and three, so they're not technically out of it, but we know it's a two-team race, right? But they're not as bad as the Patriots. Um, you know, if the Jets were possibly better, I could understand because it's been kind of a poverty franchise and you're literally built everywhere. That's why you went and got Aaron Rodgers, paid in the new deal. Zach Wilson was going to back him up, this, that, and the third. But, yeah, it, it being considered at this point, like you said, one wrong step, one wrong hit, and that's possibly his career for good right there. Like, okay, now you're going to have to go get another surgery. You know, are you even going to want to come back and possibly risk it for a third time? And, and we're just really getting hypothetical here, but knowing that it is being considered was absolutely crazy to me because I know that this is a team that's desperate for success and desperate to win, but don't do – a version of what the Cleveland Browns did. Don't Basically, rush a yes. quarterback into your system. And yeah, you're not overpaying him, but if you're rushing him back injured, I mean, damn, isn't that kind of just as bad as, as overpaying? And I don't want Jets fans to jump in the comments and absolutely obliterate <laughs> me, but give yourself time. Like, you are so built. The Jets worked so hard to get here, draft after draft, bringing in Robert Sala, understanding that it's starting to kind of feel like a level organization now. Um, but yeah, it, it even being considered at this point, I thought was pretty wild. And I was like, wow, you know, these guys really miss A-Rod. And I don't blame them, right? Like if the Saints were in the same situation, I'd be like, dude, it'd be crazy. He comes back. We're going to go to win streak, take it all but away. But you got to be realistic. You, you got to be in reality in the NFL. You're about to say something. And you have time on your hands. Like your player, your best players are all young. Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, yep. um, Sauce Gardner. Quinn and Williams, they're all young. Like you don't, there's no rush here. Like understand Aaron Rodgers doesn't have time on his side, but like one more season, just wait. Yeah, definitely. It's it, it's it, it was kind of crazy for me to know that the GM, and again, I, I think the GM said it before he went to, you know, the the Aaron Rodgers. Uh, what is it? Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays on Pat McAfee. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays. You know, he went over there. Um, you know, had the interview, was talking about how, or I believe he, you know, was saying, because I heard Pat, you know, in a clip on YouTube saying that, you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to come back this year. He knows it's not feasible. Like, he's still got to recover. And I'm glad to hear that because it even being a possibility, like, all right, what did you realistically do? What happened? What did you and Neil Elitrosh, you know, what, what were you able to come up with or, or be revolutionary about? Because in a good point, like you said, with Cam Akers, he was 22. Right, like literally in his rookie season, if not shortly after. And it ended up happening. He comes back as a young player rushing back and doesn't look the same. And he was a, you know, pretty touted running back coming out of Florida State and coming into the draft. And a lot of people liked him. And when he was taken by the Rams, I was like, look, that's a great spot. I love what Sean McVay offers. And and this team is going to be able to use him well. And we definitely don't want Aaron Rodgers, a four-time MVP, a legendary player, a first ballot Hall of Famer, scar his career because of something like this being explored. All right, Justin, we're about to get out of the show, but not before, but not before, excuse me, we pick our week nine games starting off at the top Sunday, Miami at Kansas City. Woo, Casey, 
we found we both talked about is Miami just does not find a way to step up to competition. I think everyone has figured out what to do with that Miami offense, play to um to high safety, keep everything in front of them. Kansas City. Yeah. Taking Kansas City as well, no doubt. Miami hasn't been able to play up against good competition this year. Now, Kansas City's lack of offense could very well have Miami come in and steal this game, and we know we're still trying to uh, – they know that they're trying to still get adjusted with Jalen Ramsey, needing some secondary players. That was a team that I wanted to make a move at the trade deadline for a secondary player because I believe a Buda Baker could have been grabbed. I believe the Harrison Smith could have been grabbed. There were other secondary players out there that possibly could have been made a move for um, – but, you know, Kansas City's defense as well with Steve Spagnola. I mean, that Spags defense is very impressive, and I think Tua is going to experience something else against this uh, team in Germany on Sunday uh, very early on. So I will take the Chiefs in this game. We have the Vikings with the fresh Joshua Dobbs off the trade <laughs> deadline move at the Atlanta Falcons. Ooh-wee. This is a yeah. tough one. I thought about this one for about five minutes before I actually made my pick. This is – Tough. Um, just because Dobbs is no fresh into this system, I'm gonna have to go with Atlanta at home. Like, I'm gonna go with Atlanta at home. Like, at some point, Arthur Smith has to realize Bajar Robinson is a real deal. Just give him football and get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. No, you're not not a good pick. Not a bad pick there. Excuse me, I was jumbling on my words. You know, so you got Minnesota. Like I said, with Josh Dobbs traveling to Atlanta, first game on the road. Not in a hostile environment, but nonetheless, they don't have home field advantage. But the one thing or a couple of things that I was looking at is Drake London's out. Drake London's not playing oh, in this yeah. football game. I looked on the injury report. He is ruled out. They also no, have a fullback and a safety that's ruled out of this game as well. I'm going to join you. Really go either way. And here's how I'm thinking about it. The Vikings just played a solid game before Kirk Cousins got hurt. And all that firepower is still there. Madison's playing well. The interior O-line's trying to get better. The O-line itself is trying to get better. Um, you know, Jordan Addison is emerging. Justin Jefferson's working back off IR. So there's a lot of great things going, and I believe Josh Jobs could step in against this Falcons defense that did just get carved up last week by a rookie in his debut. Now, yes, they were on the road. It's, it's very tough to make a pick in this game, but with Drake London, the fullback, and the safety being out, I'm going to take the Vikings in this one. Now we have the Cardinals at the Cleveland Browns. Browns. Like, you're at the Browns, and this is arguably one of the three best defenses in the entire football league. And I already talked about Miles Garrett being the defensive player of the year. I'm going to take the Browns. Heard that. This one will be interesting. Kyler Murray is actually questionable, along with many other people in this game. Deshaun Watson is a go. I'm going to take the Browns here as well. If Kyler starts, that could possibly switch some things up, but even Kyler coming back after the ACL injury, uh, non-contact in December of last year, could be a little uh, tricky with that debut in the season. We also see Clayton Toon is up right now, the quarterback that they just drafted this year, so I don't expect them just shipping Josh Dobbs out. Now they're getting the rookie into place, or if it's going to be Kyler Murray, I think the Browns are going to be uh, pretty solid being home in this one. Now it could be an ugly one because we've seen the Browns kind of fall on their face this season, and they're just now getting Deshaun Watson back. And because he's a go, that's why I will pick the uh, the Cleveland Browns. Now we've got the Rams at your boys, the Green Bay Packers. Um, Matthew Stafford hasn't practiced this week, right, so I have to believe – I have to believe he's not going to play. So I'm going to lean to the Packers for that reason. And here is the one hot take that you're probably waiting for. If the Packers cannot beat a Matthew Stafford-less LA Rams, 
Matt LaFleur should be fired on the spot. Like, like the same thing that they did with Mike McCarthy when he lost to the Cardinals and he was fired like right after the press conference. If you can't beat the Matthew Stafford less Rams, I honestly believe, and because of I've seen regression on all these young players from Jordan Love, Christian Watson is getting worse and worse by the day. Romeo Dobbs is not getting better. Then the only young player that's looking better is Jalen Reed. I am going to tell you. A loss should see Matt LaFleur open the door. Mm. That's a tough one there. You look at the injury report. Jair Alexander, Rudy Ford, Elton Jenkins, Aaron Jones, Luke Musgrave, Quay Walker. Rudy Ford and Quay Walker are questionable. Uh, Jair Alexander was limited at practice. Aaron Jones was limited as well. But you look at the Rams. I mean, they've got, you know, Ernest Jones, Puka Nakua, Matthew Stafford, Ben Skoranek, uh, Aaron Donald. You know, a lot of these guys that are on the injury report as well, I think AD is getting some veteran rest, so that's no worries. But you got guys like Matt Stafford and Puka on here. I'm going to take the Packers. This might be one of the ugliest games of the weekend just because it is filled with injuries, but I think this is lined up for the Packers to win, and they are at home. Washington, who just cleaned house, going to New England. Who you got? New England. And I'm not not because I'm – not because I am so – you know, assured by what's going on with the Patriots. It's just that, as you said, Washington is clearing house, and I think everything is set up for them tanking to get Caleb Williams. That'd be nuts. Caleb Williams with Eric Bieniemy. Ironically, I'm going to take Washington over New England in this one. Now, Bill Belichick being at home could very well stifle Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy, and we do just see two of their best players in Montez Sweat and Chase Young get out of there. But there's 10 listed as questionable for the Patriots on Sunday. Um, a couple of key players are in there, and the, and the bad thing is is they already don't have a lot of key players in general. So even though Washington just cleaned it out, I'm going to take Washington in this game. I honestly don't feel comfortable as I pick it because I know they're on the road at New England, but the Patriots are just not what they were. We have the Bears at my Saints. Let's, let's get to the next one. Like Bears on the road. <laughs> I like you. Yeah, I like nice you. One. Sounds like we're both going to take the Saints, no question about that. Seattle at Baltimore. Woohoo! Well, that's a game. That's gonna be a I, game. That is going to be a good game. But give me Baltimore. Like I, I trust what's going on in Baltimore. I love John Harbaugh, and, and I think like you're seeing finally the development of, of Baltimore's passing attack. Give me Baltimore in a one-score game, like in a close one. Yeah, I think this will be a very good game as well. I'm going to take the Ravens as well. Now, Marcus Williams and Rocky Yassine are both questionable guys in their secondary. We know Seattle can air it out. JSN, DK Metcalf, of course, Tyler Lockett as well. And overall, with them being first in the NFC West, they've earned this spot. They've earned the right to be discussed in this way against a top two team, a top three team in my power rankings, as the Baltimore Ravens are. Uh, Seattle can play, like I just said, so I think it's going to be a good football game. But with those two secondary players questionable, the Ravens will be tested, still going to lean Baltimore here. Now we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Houston Texans. Oh, no, this is also a tough game. I'm going to take Tampa Bay simply because, like, that defense is still good, especially that front seven, and you're playing a rookie quarterback. Um, this game will show me how good C.J. Stroud really is, especially, as I said, against that front seven. Yeah. Give me Tampa Bay in a close one because I still like what D'Amico Rance has done in Houston. Right. Tampa Bay by one score. 
right. And and I think it'll be Tampa Bay by one score as well, uh, you know, because of Baker being at quarterback. And like you said, with D'Amico being able to throw some of those looks at Baker Mayfield and the Bucks, I think will be solid. But Damian Pierce and Robert Woods are also not playing in this game as well. Two big targets and weapons for C.J. Stroud. So he's not going to have some of that continuity to lean on. So I will take the Bucks here. Colts and Panthers. Colts at Panthers, actually. Um, who's quarterback for Indianapolis in that game? Gardner Minshew, pretty sure. Uh, I'll take the Colts. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the Colts too. Panthers are struggling this year. Now, the Panthers could win this game. I'm not really feeling the Frank Reich move so far. I really, really like Shane Steichen. And overall, knowing that this Colts team is top 10 offensively in plenty of categories, and the Panthers still do have some room to grow and they need to grow. I'm going to take the Colts over the Panthers. Now we've got Raiders at Giants. Oh my oh, God! Me, Giants they, at Raiders. Excuse me. It doesn't. Like, <laughs> Say again. I, I I don't know. Like 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 one bad franchise or the other. Like which one are we going here? Um, I, I think I will tell you. Tyrod Taylor and Darren Waller are out for the Giants. Well, then give me <laughs> and then give me the Raiders. I think that you know they're going to have that happy-go-lucky feeling with the new head coach. Yeah. And they're, like, the players are going to want to play. And I have absolutely no faith in what is going on in New York Giants. I want to say this, right? And people laughed at me when I said this. I honestly believe last season was a huge error for what the Giants did because they overachieved and believed in that overachievement, which led to paying Daniel Jones. And they said that it's a huge mistake that they, like, they should have moved on. I know it's like, Oh, but what do we do? It's like don't pay Daniel Jones. Like yeah, let's, whatever let's, you do, don't pay him. Don't pay him. I know. Like like the problem with the NFL and like NBA, the NBA has this this thing. Like either either you're going to be really good, or we're going to be we're going to tank to be really bad. But NBA franchises don't believe in being mediocre for whatever reason. NFL franchises think like they'd rather be mediocre than really bad. And no, what's that led? You're paying money to be really bad. And the New York Giants are really, really bad. And they don't know why anyone would have thought giving Daniel Jones this money was the answer to your problems. Especially when you brought in this head coach who did everything possible to hide Daniel Jones. Like you saw him hide him, like legit hide him. This kid had about 15 touchdown passes and we thought that Daniel Jones is the answer. Like, yeah, France, no. Crazy. Yeah. It was way more Brian Dable than it was Daniel Jones, and I was right there with you. I was like, Daniel Jones wants what type of money? And he went from Danny Dimes to Danny Dollars real quick because New York took the bait. I'll take the Raiders over the Giants, though. I think Anthony Pierce, or excuse me, Antonio Pierce is going to win his first game. New energy, new quarterback, new culture from this point on in the season. Tyrod Taylor and Darren Waller are out, and the Giants are a whopping 2-6 and six this year. Very, very disappointing football team. Philly and Dallas. Dallas actually going to Philadelphia in an NFC East matchup. And uh, some people are saying the winner of this game will win the division. I would have said, right, if that game was playing with Dallas, I would have leaned towards the Cowboys upset. But you're playing in Philly, and like Philly is ready for you. Like, you know, I know both teams are – the reality of the situation, as much as I love the, Dallas's defense, Philadelphia is a better constructed roster as it right, is right now. More sound. So give me Philadelphia, but it will be a good game. I think it'll be a great game. Might be the game of the week. I, I like Hurts over Dak. I like Sirianni over McCarthy. I just like how built the Eagles are in general to, you know, compared to the Cowboys. And this is two of the most loaded rosters in the NFC. Definitely two of the most loaded rosters in the NFL and two of the best teams in the league as well facing off against each other. But I think when we talk about continuity, what each team has showed us recently, 
Um, and ultimately what we know that both of these teams are able to do, I think Philly will emerge victorious in this one. And they are at home, so that is going to to help them. Now we have the Bills and the Bengals. Buffalo going to Cincinnati. Like, like, like Cincinnati, I've told you, I no longer trust Buffalo. I don't either. With those two defensive injuries, Tredavious White and Matt Milano, and I've never been – if you think I don't like um, Brandon Staley, I also don't like Sean McDermott. I'm just not yeah. a fan. Like, like, give me Cincinnati. Like you're seeing it turn around. No, Joe seems to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, same here. Bengals seem like they turned the corner in the last game. Joe Burrow, 28 of 32, dicing up the San Francisco 49ers defense, and he's healthy. You know, he's making plays, making scrambles and moves that he wasn't making earlier on. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the year, Josh Allen and DeMar Hamlin are thankfully in for this game. They were both practicing this week. I think they were both questionable earlier in the week, but they ended up getting the game time – or not the game time, but they ended up getting the uh, – the, the, the designation to be in for this game, thankfully. So that was going to be huge, you know, if Josh Allen was out possibly or hampered in this game, which I think he still could be a little injured coming into this one. Um, you know, it isn't going to fare super well. A.J. Klein, the linebacker, is out in this game. So I do like the Bengals here. Chargers at Jets to round out the schedule. If this is going to sound weird. I'm going to go to Jets. Ooh, uh, yep. The Jets are at home. The Jets are at home. And I told you already, like, I do not trust Brandon Staley that you're traveling on the road and make no mistake, right? As much as I love Justin Herbert, this is an elite defense. Yeah. I think they're going to make enough plays to win this. I can understand why you would go to Chargers, but especially in close games where coaching decisions matter, am I going to trust Brandon Staley over Robert Sala? Hell no. Hell no. Yes, Zach Wilson is not it, but that defense at home, I have seen the New York Jets they pull out a game in New York against the Jets and they had no reason winning. But when you saw them against the Chiefs and they thought that Chiefs game was a turnaround, yes, they lost that game, right? But finally, the one moment came that he wanted to see all along, Zach Wilson with accountability. Not only did he play well in the fourth quarter of that game, but after the game, Zach Wilson owned up to the fact they lost the game because of him and he saw the players rally around him and say tough luck tough luck it wasn't you and he said no this loss is on me and we saw earlier we saw last year what did we see last year he said you know he would say that no it's not on me it's not my fault blah 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 the accountability and ever since then i've seen his team rally around him his play has not been great by any stretch of the imagination You're but when <laughs> but when you see like that Chiefs game for me was a turnaround. Yeah. And if the Chargers had anyone else under that headset not named Brandon Staley, it would take it. But seems like you don't like Brandon Staley as much as I don't like Dennis Allen. <laughs> I like, like Dennis Allen so much. I am counting down the days until we let him go. I'm going to take the Chargers over the Jets, though. You make a lot of great points, and this would be a game for Brandon Staley to lose. It is in New York. It is on primetime. It is going to be on national television. I do believe overall, might not be by much, that the Chargers are the better football team here. Oh, there's um, no doubt. The Jets win. You know, I'm not shocked. The Jets do have an elite defense. The Jets have shown that they're going to be gritty. You know, four and three at this point in the season without their QB1 and Aaron Rodgers, I didn't know if they were going to be at this point. You know, I knew it was going to be a rough season going on, but we've seen that defense show up, show out, win them football games, but I am going to take the Chargers over 
the Jets. And that's going to be a wrap to episode 50 of the NFL with AJL, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate everybody popping into the show tonight. Justin, I'm going to let you say a little bit about yourself and your show, plug you, and then I will get out of here. Well, we have been on a three-month hiatus because I welcome a new baby girl into our family. But Congratulations indeed, on that also again, by the way. Thank you so very much. Chat. Congratulate Justin's on a new baby girl. Thank you all, all, all the same. Well, seriously, but it has been too long. And doing your show and then doing Marcus's show a couple of days ago made me, remember, made me realize like I've been out of this too long. And I'm, yeah, I wanted to use these shows not just for prep because, I, you know, I love being on with y'all guys. But I'm like, yeah, been gone too long. So like he said earlier in the show, hashtag this just in, please put in the hashtag, even though Matt Kellerman no longer has his show, but hashtag, <laughs> uh, indeed, hashtag this just in. We are primarily on YouTube, so I am going to give it two weeks. You heard it here. I'm going to give it two weeks. Then we are on Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central on YouTube. And for our short form content, again, hashtag this just in. We are on Twitter. Well, it's named X, no, sorry. X formerly known <laughs> as Twitter. <laughs> we are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Put that hashtag before this just in. Thank you for plugging yourself, man. And as always, this was episode 50 of the NFL with AJL. Before we get out of here, y'all, please make sure to like. I know, man, the 50 burger. I was glad to have you on. Uh, please make sure to like and share the stream. Before we get out of here, subscribe on YouTube. Also hit the bell so you never miss uh, a post when we go live, short, medium form clip, whatever the case may be. Still working on coming up with some channel memberships. I've been slacking on that. But as always, you can give the super thanks. You can give the super chat down in the chat to donate directly to the channel. Support the cause of the NFL with AJL. Of course, the QR code right there in the corner of the screen will give you every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL. Hashtag the NFL with AJL. Episode 51 will be coming on Tuesday. You already know the podcast will be uploaded tomorrow. As I always say, I love you. I need you. And I will see you in episode 51.